0: Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, They recognised him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked what a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you saw and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him, that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come unto from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his spirit, he sent his first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways.
1: Amen. So uh, we're reaching the end of what I'm going to call now part one of this series on the early chapters of the book of Acts. And if you're with us for the first time this morning, firstly I should have said um, toilets can be found outside (laughs) through those glass doors. I I always forget to mention the toilets, but I was told you should mention the toilets. So the toilets are through the glass door if you need them. Um, But if you're with us for the first time this morning beyond that, um, we're in a series um, that has been just sort of Taking a fresh look at what church is and what the church is for, um, by going back to its kind of origins, really, in Luke's account, which we call the Book of Acts, uh, short for the Acts of the Apostles, although commentators have suggested that a better title for it would be the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, because it's God at work through his church, which is the central theme of this book. And we called the series Gathered um, because that is the literal translation of of, of the Greek word in the New Testament that we translate as church, ecclesia. The church um, was first and foremost a people who gathered. And from there, they were sent. And that's the, the literal translation of the word that we use for apostle. Apostolos means to be sent, right? So the church is the gathered and the sent. And we're looking at what that means for us as a church in this season. Um, And a quick summary of the journey so far. We just went through this briefly last week, but um, this is Acts 1 to 3. We've seen the early church gathering to worship and pray. We've seen them getting themselves organized and set up for their mission. And we've seen them being filled with God's Holy Spirit, um, empowered by his presence in order to proclaim the good news about Jesus. If you don't know what the good news about Jesus is, come and ask. It's the most important message you will ever hear. And we saw how they became a different sort of community, distinctive by their love and care for one another. Um, they stood out because of their love, just like Jesus said to his disciples that they would. He told them that the world would recognize them as his because of their love for one another. That's why it's important. We connect and we get to know one another. And we need to go beyond superficial. The church was never meant to be superficial. And then in Acts 3, we we see the church picking up and continuing Jesus's ministry of healing and wholeness in this uh, remarkable healing of this lame man at the gate of the temple. Um, And the impact that that then had on all the people who were around. Um, And for more detail of the the story, you can go back and listen to last Sunday's sermon, um, uh, which is on SoundCloud. um, And also the week before that, actually, at our All In Service. We've been covering Acts 3 for a couple of weeks now. And this morning we're taking one more look at Acts 3 because there are a couple of things that I still want to say about it. The the plan was to get to Acts 7 by the end of this term, Um, but I've had far too much to say just for a change. Um, So instead of ending the series this morning, we're going to press the pause button. And then we're going to do something different over the summer. I'll explain that later on. In September, we are going to be looking at our vision as a church in our teaching. And then the plan is to come back to Acts 4-7 to in October and November. Um, so that's the plan. Whether or not it will happen is anyone's guess right now. When was the last time you were certain about anything happening four months down the line? So uh, the revision of this story, Peter and John, uh, two of Jesus' disciples, they're on the way to the temple. They see this man who has never walked. Um, clearly, he's a well-known figure at the gates. You may picture places you know around at the area where you have a well-known figure who is always in that place. Um, And he asks for money. They don't have any, but instead they declare healing over him in Jesus' name. And to the astonishment of the crowd and the consternation of the religious rulers, we'll get onto that in the autumn in Acts 4, the man is healed. And Peter, we saw, this, this is Peter who, you know, weeks before was terrified of big crowds. But he's a changed man since so being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he explains that this healing, he explains it to them in a way that points to Jesus. That's what we heard in our, in our reading in the verses 11 to 26. Um, he uses it to point to Jesus um, and all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has done to bring salvation and healing and restoration to a lost, hurting and broken world. And we talked about how this is the mark of being a disciple of Jesus, i.e. a, a Christian A follower, an apprentice of Jesus Christ, that we imitate him in response to what he has done for us. We uh, imitate him. We make him our teacher, our guide. We do the things he did. This is our calling. And I shared a story about a homeless guy uh, last week, Joshua, who I met with. Um, I met a few weeks ago with a carload of our youth um, at the McDonald's drive-thru and how we bought him a coffee uh, in defiance of a sign asking us not to buy him a coffee. Why? Because we felt that's what Jesus would do in our place. Because in his kingdom, the poor aren't ignored or marginalized, but are taken notice of valued and loved. I was reading um, a bit of Ezekiel this morning, and that's where I'm up to, and um, God was cross with his people. Why was he cross with his people? Because they were forgotten and marginalized and ignored the poor. But we ended with this question last week. And this question was a a question that arose from me telling that story of of Joshua, the homeless guy, to a few people. And it was a good question. I sent everybody away to think about it last Sunday. I don't know if you have, if anybody's written an essay on it. no, No, no homework. But the question was basically, what is the value of a cup of coffee for a homeless person? This is the question I was asked. Does it make any difference in the long run? And kind of in a sense, if so, why stop there? You know, where does our responsibility end? And, you know, the same question might have been asked to Peter and John in this story with this lame man. Presumably there were more people around who were in need of healing, but only this man on this occasion was healed. And same with Jesus, uh, who raised Lazarus from the dead, but no one else in that time has far as we know presumably a lot of people died during jesus's three years of earthly ministry jesus didn't raise them all or at least we don't know that he did so what's the point of a one-off act if it doesn't change the big picture that's that's the kind of question we're asking this morning so um as a slight case study let's look Let's talk about gun crime in America. Okay, so some of you may have come across a a guy called Shane Claiborne. Um, Just a show of hands, just out of interest. Has anyone come across Shane Claiborne? Okay, not that many people. Okay, right. So he's a bit of a sort of a prophetic voice to the church in America. Um, He's a little out there on the edge, as kind of prophetic people generally are. Um, And many of you will be aware of gun crime, again, hitting the headlines in the States recently triggered I guess by a couple of particularly tragic, I don't know if there is another sort of shooting than a tragic one, but particularly tragic shootings, one in a primary school, um, the other racially motivated. It's not a new story. Um, We find it difficult to comprehend in this country, don't we, how a developed nation tolerates such a high human price for the freedom to bear arms. But it's a deeply polarizing issue in America. And the question is, what should followers of Jesus do about this? What would Jesus do? And obviously, many people lobby government on both sides of the debate. People come at this, course, from radically different ideological starting points. You've got freedom or you've got welfare. But a few years ago, this itinerant preacher, Shane Claiborne, started doing something a little bit different to take a stand on gun violence. And here's just a short video about it. It's a That's a book that um, they wrote, I think, three years ago, it was released. Um, But that's an interesting response to gun crime, isn't it? Um, It moves beyond the kind of the culture wars into practical action, prophetic action, taking a gun and turning it into a gardening fork. Yeah, an instrument of death, or an instrument that brings death, he says, turned into an instrument that brings life. Will that solve the gun problem in America? Probably not. Does it remove the need for political action? No. But does it under, undermine, in some way, the kind of the, the basis of the whole problem—the the, the arguments about gun rights in America? It does a little bit, I think. And I believe this is what the church is called to do in the times that we live in. It's what Peter and John did in this story. It's what we see throughout the Book of Acts. It's what we see in the life. A ministry of Jesus. It's about doing things that point to a different and better future when Jesus is king. Um, if you've ever done the Alpha course, um, you may remember an illustration. It doesn't work so well right now in the middle of a heat wave, but um, they talk about um, when you get a few really warm days in early spring after a long cold winter and it stops raining for a couple of days. The sun comes out and it feels like summer and everyone's in shorts and t-shirts But it's not summer yet. There are more cold and wet days ahead. But it is a glimpse of what's coming. Back in the summer of 2020, when the first hard lockdown was starting to ease, um, I remember um, the moment we were able to take the boys to see the grandparents for the first time in months. And I remember meeting my parents at a park. And at the time, it was the time where, people could only meet one-to-one from two different households, right? In a public public place, in an outdoor space. So um, grandma and granddad arrived at the park. They separated into two two different spaces. And then we sent Nathan over to grandma and we sent Matthew over to granddad. Um, So they went off in their two different one-to-one groups in different directions for a walk around the park. There were reports of police at the time looking out for groups of more than two people. Um, how little we knew at the time, eh? Um, halfway around the park, the two parties met, and they sort of enacted something a little bit like that final scene in Bridge of Spies, if you've seen it, where sort of from opposite ends of the path, the, the grandparents exchanged hostages. Um, I, mean, I mean, grandchildren. And uh, continued on their way with their new partners still in their pairs. And it was, it was great to see you know, the boys seeing their grandparents again. But the truth was, it, it wasn't the real there was no contact there were no hugs there was no sitting around the table enjoying grandma's roast dinner but it was a foretaste of what one day would be possible again and we you know drove home we were filled with a kind of funny sort of mix of joy tempered with pain and frustration that this was really only a glimpse of what we truly longed for I don't know if you can remember feeling like that back in the day now that's a picture of what we mean uh, in the church when we talk about the now, but not yet. I realize I should have put this up on the slide because this is really the, the title or the concept of this teaching today. It's about the now, but not yet. This is when we see something better ahead, but right now things are hard. Moments where we get a foretaste of a brighter future that hasn't fully arrived yet. And this is the lived reality of us in the church today. Um, it has been right from the start. Christians have never been called to pretend that everything is sunny and good. You know, um, we give our lives to Jesus and that's a guarantee for an easy life. You know, sickness, suffering, war, famine, troubles, hardship. They're all realities that we are all subject to. Christians are not immune. We do not gain immunity from these things. We will all die. But neither are Christians called to despair and wring our hands and say, It's hopeless, there's nothing we can do. We're called to push back against the darkness. Somebody um, once described it as denting the darkness, trying to dent the darkness and lean into the future that the Bible promises when Jesus returns and his kingdom comes in all its fullness. You know, this story in Acts three tells us that praying for healing is for the church today. Um, It's not something that finished with Jesus, The similarity of this story in Acts 3 to stories of Jesus's healing are striking. And Jesus has gone, but the Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, disciples of Jesus, like us, should do the same things and can expect to see those same glimpses of a glorious future kingdom. You know, unanswered prayer, if you struggle with unanswered prayer, unanswered prayer is nothing new. Jesus experienced unanswered prayer, arguably, and the disciples certainly did. And it's not a reason to think that prayer is futile or pointless. We do these things. We buy that cup of coffee for the homeless person. We turn the gun into a gardening fork. We love that person at work who deserves our wrath. We pray for healing because it points to a different future. That's the nature of prophetic action. You know, in the Bible, uh, prophecy is not about predicting the future Per se. Jesus actually said not to waste time with that. It's about pointing to the future, a future when Jesus is king, where wars shall cease, where there'll be an end to sickness, suffering, and death, and God shall wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's an image in Revelation 21. You know, theologians have a word for these sort of prophetic actions, both. Of Jesus in the Gospels and the early church in Acts, they're called sign acts. They're acts that point to something, that point to someone. What is the church for? It's to point people to Jesus. How does it do that? Well, by proclaiming the Gospel, Jesus died to provide salvation to sinful people like us. And by manifesting his kingdom, the kingdom Jesus proclaimed in Luke 4 when he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah um, and read it from it saying this is right at the beginning of his ministry the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free that was this man's story wasn't it in Acts 3 set free from the oppression of his condition and the social stigma that came with it God's kingdom is beautiful it's a place where freedom and forgiveness and justice and healing and life in all its fullness. That's the promise of what's ahead when Jesus returns. But it's what the church is called to work towards today. And I think that's probably not a bad place for us to, to pause this series over the summer, which we'll come back to. But there is a footnote that I want to end on. And that's at this now, but not yet is a hard place to be and it was for the disciples in the early church most of whom were martyred for their faith it is for us today on one hand we we'll, we see in Jesus and in our lives the hope of forgiveness healing and justice on the other hand we see that we are a long way from that restored world that Jesus described you know I know I've had prayer for healing and I've been healed praise the Lord I also know that far more times I have received prayer for healing and I haven't been healed. And that can be hard to reconcile. But these are some of the words that Peter spoke when he was explaining this healing in Acts 3 to the crowd. These are verses 19 to 21. He said, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. A few years ago, I ran the Bristol 10k uh, with a friend. I'd never done something like that before. Day came. It was a really, really hot day, a bit like today, um, hotter than any practice that I'd done. Um, but I ran my socks off on a, for a time of 50 minutes and 19 seconds, or as I like to call it, 49 minutes and 79 seconds, because that sounds a little bit better. Um, and it was beautiful running down the Avon Gorge um, and around the harbour, but the truth was it was, it was tough going, um, especially with the heat, and mostly I felt awful <laughs> throughout it. Every so often we'd come to one of these drink stations where we were able to grab some water, um, drink some of it, and sort of baptise ourselves. And in the midst of this gruelling wraith, race there were these precious moments of refreshing Paul describes the Christian life as being like a race races are not comfortable races are not easy and in this race we're not racing against one another um, but against the powers of evil and darkness in the world but we're promised these times of refreshing a bit like those water those, those water stations, moments in the struggle where we get a taste of God's kingdom breaking in. Um, our wonderful guy called Max Turner put it, "When God's rule hits us with the wonder of the age to come, that's what living prophetically is all about. It's seeking those moments of refreshment where we get glimpses of His kingdom and demonstrate that kingdom to others. This is what the church is for, to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom. Um, Like my theological college put it in our mission statement, to live like the kingdom is near. To pray as we just did, your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. So why don't we look for opportunities for that over the summer? Um, I realise we haven't gone into a lot of detail on the how there, but have a think about it. What does that look like in everyday life? to proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom with prophetic acts that point to Jesus, that point to the future of his kingdom. Final quote from um, Max Turner again. Dear brothers and sisters, do pray for times of refreshment, for days where heaven and earth merge in brilliant ways, even before Jesus comes. So let's pray.